0: Creatives with AI Podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Creatives with AI Podcast. I'm your host, David. And on today's show, we have Steve Dunlop. I met Steve a few years ago. Well, uh, must have been five years it's ago. I, guess I think it's about eight years. Yeah, it might have been eight years ago now um, when he had just left Global Radio and was starting his own company called A Million Ants. And we're going to talk about that because that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to him today. Um, But Steve is fascinated by how we tell stories. And the more engaging and compelling the story, the more effective it is at communicating our needs, desires, and fears. And his background as a radio producer, strategist, and engineer at companies like Intel, the BBC, and Global Radio has given him the empathy to, to apply technology to real world human problems. His company, AMA, is the culmination of this, and at its heart, helps others tell more effective stories. So I'm hoping he's going to tell some effective stories today and uh, keep us entertained talking about AI. How are you doing, Steve?
0: Very good. Very good. Back back in London, actually. Um, so we met, I think, in 2015 when you were running the AdTech meetup in London. And I was, I, I look back on that time um, as if I was this kind of teenager running around London, trying to work out how to start a new business. And um, and so I joined every meetup that was out there and we went down to Google campus in, um, uh, in uh, just around around the corner from here, in Farringdon. And um, and you were running you were very generously running these meetups in these kind of down downstairs basements of bars and things where they had flashy lights in your face. And we were talking about ad tech and the, and the bar staff were like, you guys are so boring. <laughs> and if, there were about 10 of us at the start. And then I think uh, you know, you grew it to thousands, didn't you?
1: At the maximum, we had 3,700 members oh, on the, in the meetup group, and that was just before COVID. And we were we had moved on from the, from the place we used to meet in Covent Garden. You're thinking of the place in Covent That's Garden right. where yeah. we used to meet downstairs. That's changed names about six times since we used to meet there, so I don't know what it's called today. But it is still there, and I did go in there the other day, funnily enough. But we then graduated to go into the WeWork Work. Because it had a much larger area, and was quite a good, was quite a good one. We we went to Facebook. Facebook hosted us one time, and we had a really popular meetup there. But we were getting two, three hundred people every month coming. Um, and, yeah, and for it me was great. that was uh,
0: that was you know such an eye opener to meet other people with similar uh, problems and questions and stories and backgrounds, and and realize that there's a community there. I mean, that's the whole point of meetup, I guess, isn't it? To to see that you're not on your own and and Certainly, this you know, million ads is the first time I've ever been a founder or an entrepreneur or started my own business. So, so feeling that there was a community out there to support, to commiserate, <laughs> to lean on uh, was great. So, I mean, thank you for, for you know uh, well, guiding guiding us through that.
1: We were, we were all trying to start our own businesses back then, yeah. and um, <laughs> unfortunately, GDPR got mine. That's right. But um, There's still a need for it. The the we still have the same problem that you know if you buy something and online, you still see ads for it. Like Riverside, I use Riverside as the, you know, the platform to record on. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is a bit weird today. And um, I constantly see ads for Riverside. And I'm like, surely. I'm a paying because subscriber. I use it. You got me. Yeah. And I, and I use it in the browser that I use to surf the web. So you would think that somehow they'd be able to work that out because it would just save them money and really stop annoying. Just, me so they
0: you, keep... you go and click on their links, right? Just to mean that that really costs yeah. them. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Always, always click the top result in Google as well. Those Sponsored links are are very good. Um, So I think maybe it might be good. I mean, obviously we don't want a a pitch, but if you just give a quick sort of little bit of background of what you were doing and how you thought about a million ads and sort of what a million ads is, and then we can talk about how it uses algorithms and AI and machine learning to do what it does.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's back back to that time, 2014, 2015. I was working for Global Radio and and um, my job there was head of strategy. And our, um, the kind of exam question we had was how do we move these traditionally linear analog broadcast brands like Capital and Classic FM and Smooth and Heart, how do we turn them into digital um, brands where consumers are moving to Snapchat and TikTok and, uh, and Facebook and so on? How do we keep those brands relevant in those digital spaces? And one of the uh, many projects that we did at the time was to uh, create a way to sell um, digital ad uh, inventory independently of broadcast ad inventory um, historically broadcast ad inventory is you, you buy what's called reach and frequency and you um, you get a you know kind of low per impact um, uh, cost we wanted to be able to migrate that business into a digital space so if you're listening to capital fm on your iphone or on a sonos device or on a, any kind of connected speaker Let's sell that ad inventory independently of, of if you're listening to Capital FM on 95.8 through a FM radio or DAB or whatever. So we built this product called DAX. Um, and at the time, uh, my kind of you know light bulb moment was we were just taking the creative, the actual 30 second spot, the bits that the, the user would hear, the listener would hear. We were taking it from the FM and just sticking it onto DAX and maybe adding some targeting parameters or maybe playing it out in a slightly different order to a slightly different audience, but effectively charging the client, you know, 10X for... for for just that, <laughs> and I was like, "Hold on! If we're in a digital space, we actually know something about the user. We know perhaps what device they're on, or where they are, or what the weather's like where they are, or how many times they've heard it. And we have this kind of one-to-one connection through, you know, through IP and through through the internet versus the broadcast connection, which is a one-to-many uh, connection. So that was the kind of light bulb moment to go: How do we make audio creative work harder um, in that space, and and work harder for kind of all the stakeholders being?" The listener, how do we make sure that, that they're not you know, radio creative? We talked about this at the start of our conversation earlier, you know, but radio creative is very characteristic and it's been designed for the medium. So often it's quite loud, it's compressed quite hard. So it's, so it's that you can hear it when you're in a noisy car or when you're across a kitchen, you know, radio has built up over 50, 60, 70 years of, of understanding how that medium works. And advertising within radio has done the same thing. So you repeat brand name often, you say the phone number three times you use all of the tricks of uh, music and drops and and so on, and you know loud voiceovers. That's how radio's growing up in a digital space, listeners, when uh, particularly when you're on a mobile device, you've probably got earbuds in your in your ears. You don't need to use those tricks or actually you can use different techniques to um to make the creative work. So that was kind of observation number one is how do we make the experience better for listeners in a digital space? Observation number two is then how do you make it better for advertisers? Um, and actually, if you're, British Gas and you're you know, one of our very first clients back in 2015, 2016, and you're using radio techniques and you're yelling at your listeners, people will literally just pull their earbuds out. So it's a negative Im- impact for, for advertisers. Their their advertising is less effective. So that was objective. And then thirdly, for the publishers, so for Global themselves, and actually now we work with all the publishers around the world, like Spotify and iHeart, Pandora in the US, um, and uh, Global in the UK and Bauer and so on for publishers how do you make their inventory work harder so they have a better set of formats that they can sell to their advertisers and and make more money from so that was the kind of a you know what what would you call the you know the the route to market the product market fit for those stakeholders and you know back in 2015 it was just me and a laptop and i built the first version of the of the product uh, you know on, on my own in my spare bedroom and was able to I was very clear about how I wanted these ads to sound. I really you know in my head it was it was clear. I just needed to get out there um and play it to people. So I so I built this kind of demo version that I was able to play to potential advertisers and to publishers. And you know, fortunately my, my role at Global meant I knew people across the world in the in the kind of publisher space. So I already had my kind of first set of um people to talk to to see if this is a good idea. Um and then with that demo also was able to, you know, show investors and raise a bit of money and then hire some people and we kind of grew from there in 2018 i moved to the us and and uh, started our new york office um and lived in in new york for five years and actually just moved back so we, we, me and my family moved back to the uk in uh, august last year we now have 15 16 people in our new york office and 17 18 people in our london office and um uh, you know t- team of engineers and product people uh, creatives uh, um, script writers and um, uh, campaign management people. Uh, so, so we often provide our service as a self serve. So, for some publishers around the world, they can use our tool to design these um, dynamic creative ads. Um, but also, we provide it as a managed service. So, we have in house creative teams, which which leads, you know, which which means we think about AI a lot because we we actually have um, a lot of human resources um, uh, making creative at the moment. <clears throat> and um, just just to you know f- fill in the rest of the story. Um, I talked about other publishers that we work with, but but actually our our, mate, our customers are, are brands and agencies, you know. So so our, um, our clients are people like Starbucks and McDonald's, um, CVS and Lowe's and Home Depot's gone live at Dunkin' Donuts uh, in the US, uh, and in the UK, Sky um, and um, the lottery and uh, and so on. So so kind of big blue chip advertisers, um, which again I think again when we start to talk about AI will. We'll focus how we think about AI relative to the advertising set that we're serving.
1: Well, that's probably a good point to jump into that. So, thanks for the overview of that. Um, so, yeah, let's let's jump into the AI part because I think it's really interesting. And back when you started the company, I don't I don't think we thought about it as AI back then. nobody nobody talked about any of this stuff like. My feeling is about 80% or maybe 90% of the stuff that's called AI today actually isn't artificial intelligence. It's just really good machine learning. Or, or even um, just a
0: smart algorithm that's doing. That, or a um, really smart that's algorithm. Doing if, the, if, if this, then that, you know, yeah. pretty standard tree um, flow, but does it smart, does it fast, and does it better than a human, let's just call it AI.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think, I, I know I've said this on the show before, but, and I don't know if I've said it to you or not though. I was at Oxford and at an AI presentation Last year, and there was a, a doctor was talking about using AI in medical, and he you know he said something that I've said many times since then, and he said you know if you're trying to sell it, it's AI, but if you're a professional, it's machine learning. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had um, we've had actual machine learning uh, parts of our uh, tool since 2016, 2017. Um, well, all of our infrastructure is built within AWS. In fact, we have a couple of um, uh, components that are in Google Cloud as well. Um, and AWS has, has had machine learning tools and capabilities since then. And we, we were very quick to, to take advantage of that. You know, you want to use the, 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 the things that are around you. Amazon have had this thing called StageMaker for a long time, and we use that to um, help our producers when they're writing a script in our system. Uh, we help them expand the script. So with Dynamic Creative, maybe you want to talk about um, uh, the location where the listener is. And if you want that location to be quite small and you're talking to a country like the US, you probably have two, three, four hundred locations. In fact, for a client like Sunglass Hut, which is um, uh, on air with us in the US today, we have 14,000 locations. Yeah, for I was going to say they're oh, everywhere. They're everywhere. And so um, AI help us with that long list of 14,000 because there's a lot of, otherwise you'd be you'd be effectively using a spreadsheet going down one line at a time to try and match audio yeah, files. Yeah, yeah. So we, we effectively use... Um, uh, Amazon's machine learning tools to map um, audio clips to script and to expand the script out. So, so we've been doing that for a long time. Um, and uh, the other tool we have is to, um, if you start writing a script and it looks like you're using one of the kind of predefined rules that we have. When we say rule, that's basically a data variable. So weather or time,
1: date. Uh, so location. maybe can I can I jump in there really quickly yeah. because I know what your tool does, but we haven't really talked about how it works. Yeah. And and how you came up with the name A Million Ads. So it might be good just to quickly just go, oh yeah, by the way, yeah. <laughs> this is what the system does. Oh, just by so the people way, understand. <laughs> yeah, so people know what it does.
0: So so it's a, it's a, uh, it, there are two parts to our um to our product. The one side is a, a design tool to help um audio producers, creatives, engineers, um, design and build dynamic creative advertising. And when we say dynamic creative, we mean the creative itself, the voiceover, the music, the sound effects change based on who's listening, based on what we know about the listener at the end. So for each listener, we know roughly where you are. From location, we know what time zone you're in. From time zone, we know what the date and the day and the time. Is it light outside or dark outside? Um, is it lunchtime or breakfast or dinner? Um, is it? Uh, and from then location, we can work out what the weather's like where you are. We have a partnership with AccuWeather. So, um wherever you are in the world we know if it's sunny rainy cloudy we know what the temperature's like what's the wind speed is it going to rain tomorrow uh and so any of these dates also we know what device you're using so are you on a uh alexa speaker versus a um android phone versus a windows pc versus a ios ipad um, and everything in between and then any of those data triggers or rules we can use to change the components of the script. So you, David, would hear a different version to me because we're in different parts of the country, it's sunny where I am and it's raining where you are. And so the client, the creative, the person writing that ad and putting that script together can use any of those components to make the ad feel like it's more personal, feel like it's dynamic. And actually we've proven over the eight years that we've been doing this and the thousands and thousands of campaigns that we've run, the advertising is significantly more effective when the listener feels like the creative is for them. Either, either perceive, either they perceive it. They know that. Oh gosh, that has said something that is clearly personalised to me. Or actually, sometimes it's um, uh, you know it's just kind of in the background. It's just kind of making it feel like it's
1: more aware. It's, it's the subtle modification that. Just That's right. Sort of- I and mean, actually,
0: one of the one of the rules we use the most is called sequence, which is um, where we know how many times you've heard this ad. And so we can keep it sounding fresh. One of the big complaints about radio advertising is you hear the same flipping ads every 15 minutes and it just drives you nuts. And actually then you get you, you get this peak of awareness and then you get a drop off because there's a negative feeling once you've heard the ad a thousand times. It's, ah, I hear that ad again. Can Whereas you make them do we, that with songs as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Burn, <laughs> the burn of songs on the commercial radio. Yeah, that's, that was the bane of our lives back in the day. Um, and, and 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 so we have this this raw call sequence which means you can keep it sounding different every time so every time that user and you can take them on a journey you know you can tell a story you know back to storytelling you can you can make impression number one you know part one of your story impression number two part two and keep the story moving on and you can change the language you use like you would in a normal human conversation like the first time we met we'd have said oh nice to meet you what do you you know what's what's what are you doing what the second time we meet We'd say, "Oh, great to see you again," and we'd shake hands differently, and our expression of the words we use would be different. The third time, we'd be bro hugging and slapping, you know. Whatever. <laughs> and so, actually, you can use, you can, you know, that's what that's yeah, what humans yeah. do, right? That's that's the way we naturally um, interact with each other, and so we can yeah. make advertising kind of follow that form using something so simple as as our sequence rule. And that's what that amazing. does, so yeah, that, so for advertisers, that just gives them flexibility. Um, and it can, and the reason the business is called a million ads is it's just as easy with our tool to create a million versions uh, of an ad as it as it historically was to create one. Uh, and right. today we use human voice actors to record all of those different versions, and we have a technique to create the the script such that you read the smallest snippet that you need to then be able to concatenate all of those versions together to create the million versions. Um, and more and more, we're using synthesized voice to help with that as well
1: which actually is an amazing segue. There is one thing I want to pick up on, though, which is I remember back before we had digital radio and all that sort of stuff when, you know, everybody just listened to the radio. And, you know, you would get a, certainly, you know, the pop stations would always just, it was whatever the record companies were paying them to play. And it seemed like every 20 minutes you heard the same song over and over and you're just like, oh, my God, I can't even stand this. But you had to listen because there wasn't anything else to do. You know, so, yeah,
0: I'm you're the, reminiscing about the good old days, the good uh, and bad of, uh, the pain. of radio. <laughs>
1: but it was everything. It was TV. It was radio. It was all of that. Like, we didn't have the choice. And I think a lot of people today, certainly my son doesn't he can't even understand a world in which he can't watch, you know, any any song, any he he doesn't. He, you know, he doesn't have access to basically any song, anytime anywhere he wants. Yeah. He so, literally so can't even understand. Yeah how that even works maybe I need to take him off into the woods for like a year or so yeah. and I live out there and then he can I can go this is sort of what it was like when I was a kid
0: yeah I think um I mean that we could we could debate the the pros and cons of the, of that way of um of, of running a music radio station uh, definitely and also then debate what that does for for your ability to have preference my worry is that is that because again my my kids are the same. They can access any movie, any TV show. Well, movies and TV are slightly differently, but certainly any music ever recorded and continues to be recorded ever. So that catalog's only getting bigger. And my worry that it, it, there is that it's hard to form a preference because as soon as you, oh, I love this song. There's another one that's coming along tomorrow that you might love as well. And so actually, like we we started this conversation talking about the Beatles. Um, uh, my my eight year old is learning to play Hey Jude on the on the um, on the guitar. And, uh, you know, the Beatles were some music I grew up with because my dad would put that on a cassette when we went on, on family holidays together and would have that three cassettes in the car and they would just rotate around. around. So that built familiarity, that built a preference in me for that kind of music. Tris is now learning Hey Jude on guitar, but that but the next week he'll be learning something else. So, so that depth of preference um, won't be as strong. So I think, that, you know, let's see when our kids are a bit older, whether, you know, they reminisce about their, you know, youth and the music they were listening to in the same way that we would. But the point that I think the point that's interesting that I think about for for our business is familiarity, and one of the reasons why advertising is effective is that is that you do get used to the voiceover, you get used to the music. Oh, when I hear that little um, jingle, oh, that I associate that automatically, my brain connects that with a brand or connects that with an experience or a feeling. So that that's when it comes to creativity, actually, familiarity is is one of the strongest um, uh, kind of mental links that that, a, that an advertiser can use um, to shortcut our brains to thinking about a brand where you might not have had to say anything you know just play some music or create an atmosphere um, and my worry about when we start to delegate creativity to computers is that they, they won't understand that at least they don't today they'll all, all, all LLMs are good at as repeating stuff we've already done there's no net new thinking um, and so yeah we are yeah. stuck right into this But but when it comes to Writing creative, humans can still start from scratch and cre- come up with something new, uh, and I think that's that's going to continue to be very important in um, in advertising.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's true, and I think the other interesting thing is, you know, the AI is designed to never give the same answer twice. It mm-hmm. is just a big predictive model, and all it does is it takes. It's just it works at such a scale now where it has billions and billions of variables and options it can choose from on sort of what direction to take. But then there's a there's a there's a randomness coefficient that they put in there. So it it says don't always choose the the best, you know, the most likely word next. Choose something different sometimes. <clears throat> and that's what makes it feel human, because if you don't have that, I've, I've read some stuff about it and they they basically say if they if you don't have that randomness added to it, it will just give you exactly the same answer every time, and it's super boring, and it's really, really bland, and no one engages with it. So you need that human factor of being different all the time and, and coming up with something. But what that leads to, I think, which is building on what you're saying is, is it, let's say you're working for a brand or you're a startup and you've got a new company and you're trying to establish a brand for yourself and a voice and and all of that is... If you're using AI a lot, I suspect that what it might do is you're not getting that consistent voice because it's intentionally being random. And some of the things that you want to have in there that are part of your brand and your sound and all of that don't get put into it. But but maybe people – what I'm worried is, is that people rely on it too much and they think that it's just going to be right all the time and they're not thinking about that aspect of it.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. And and so then that leads to, to how we use, um, certainly, LLMs and generative AI, we use it right at the top of, of our creative process. So, um, But that's the top of our creative process. We only start working when um, a brand will issue an RFP, a request for proposal. And that might be, so for example, we just started with Dunkin' Donuts. They gave us three months ago a brief that said, here's how we want our brand to sound. Here's the messaging we want to get across. Here's the vibe we want to have. And then here's the things we care about in terms of weather and location and all of these other things. And we then went ahead and wrote uh, a response to that brief and to help us like just generate some thoughts around it. We used ChatGBT as it was, um, uh, the tool we use then we, we use various different tools all the time, just to give us like a breadth of ideas. But we've already been briefed by this point. So the brand already is, has a preference. And and that that was the point I was making earlier, that the brands we work with, you know, Dunkin' Donuts don't need a new tagline. America runs on Dunkin'. They do not need a new one. So they don't need to go and ask ChatGPT, hey, can you give us a new du-? No. And also, they've been doing this for a long time. They have brand equity in the, the words, the colors, the font, everything that they use, the way their stores look, the way their coffee tastes. So they don't need to start being kind of out there creative um, at all but for specific implementations of their campaigns having something that just it's like having another person in the room you know imagine a writer's room and you've got five people around the table and you're always like I love it when um, Sarah's in the room because she always comes up with the idea about something and I love it when David's in the room because he always throws in this and now we've got kind of robot in the room and they can chuck in a few more little kind of irons in the fire but at the end of the day, you then go, right, but which one matches the brief the most? Which one will have the best outcome for the brand? Which one matches the the, the um, audience that we're trying to reach? And so we'll have almost like the robot in the, in the writer's room with us, um, but still make very human decisions around then how do we respond to the brief and then how do we write a script and then go and record it.
1: Have you, I've had this thought before. When the doctor was talking about the AI in medicine, and again, I've talked about this loads of times, so if anybody's listened, they know this story, but basically, um, they were using AI to try and look at um, mammograms to see if they could find breast cancer. And in the beginning, they had all these problems with it because it wasn't very accurate because it was misdiagnosing and all these cases and stuff like that. And so they were really worried that it wasn't going to work. And it wasn't until four years later that they realized that it actually was correct, because right. it was seeing it so much sooner than okay. they thought they was didn't even trust possible it. that they thought it was wrong. And so if you take that into other areas, sometimes I wonder if if I ask it to help me write something like I'm doing this new this new podcast network thing and and sometimes using it exactly like you said to try and get some inspiration and to say what things should I think about. It's very good at giving lists of things that you know that you might want to consider. And sometimes it comes up with stuff that I never thought about or that I'd forgotten about, which is genius, and I love it. But if I ask it for copy, sometimes it writes things that I wouldn't write. But then there's this little thing in the back of my head that says, but is it actually right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, would that copy actually yeah, and work and I'm,
0: and I'm reverting to my old to my old or traits, tra- and actually exactly. this is trying to push me ahead. Yeah, for sure. Exactly,
1: and I don't have enough audience yet to A, B test. Yeah. But as soon as I do... I mean, I'd love to work on a show that had like millions of listeners, yeah, and where I could A/B test you know, sort of the human messaging versus what you say to the AI. And well, you I'm say, sure you that's know,
0: happening around the world. You know, big publishers will be they doing must that all the be. time. They're they certainly they must testing be. Um, headline writing. Yeah, whether that's I just haven't seen any. I
1: haven't seen any results of it yet. And I, I'm part of this other group, um, and the, that's all based around AI, and it's called the AI Collective. And if you, if anybody listening wants to go find it, um, after we get off, this is this is Friday, Thursday the eighteenth of January. I'll go post something on my LinkedIn um, on the on the channel for if you want to sign up, you can go and sign up um, there. But the point is um, now now I lost my point. <laughs> oh, I got distracted. Um,
0: uh, the the AI coming up with ideas that that pushes you out of your comfort zone. And A-B yeah. testing with big audiences. Yeah. I don't know. I lost it. Okay. <laughs> we'll cut that. this bit
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I leave all these embarrassing bits in because it makes me try and be better next time. I'll remember it in a minute. Um, I'll remember it in a minute. So another reason that I wanted to have you on, and if if you remember when I reached out, was because you'd been on a podcast, another podcast recently, and I can't remember the name, so I'll rely on you to give a shout out to that podcast as well. It was but called
0: Ad Tech Heroes. There we Someone go. Someone somewhere thinks I'm an ad tech hero, which is very nice. I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're one of the big UK success stories in ad tech as well. So you have to just, uh, you, you just that's a cross. You have to bear, Steve. Um, but one of the things that you said in there, what I thought was really interesting, and you've touched on it a little bit here. But it almost sounds like you've changed your story a little bit from when we spoke originally, which we we were talking about voiceovers, and I'll I'll let you do it. But basically, you were talking about the fact that you know the voiceover industry wasn't in really too much risk because it's such a small portion of a budget. That was that was basically what you were saying, right?
0: Yes, for sure. So again, using Duncan as an example, they've had a voiceover that's been doing their creative for years and years. Um, that person, they still want that voice on their new creative. Um, that person will be on a retainer with them. So on a per campaign basis, if Duncan's spending, actually, let's, let's not talk about Duncan, just in case, that, you know. It, 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 I don't wanna talk about their numbers or, the, or anything like that. Let's say an example client might spend $10 million a, a month on a campaign, let's call it a digital audio campaign. Of that 10 million, probably roughly 70 or 80% of that will be on the media. So that will go to Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, the places where they want to go and buy the inventory, the actual spots that then get played out to listeners. And even, so that would that cost would be there, whatever happens. And even if you're just playing one version and it was the same one version to everybody, you'd still have to pay the media cost. And the more you want to target that media, the more you want to add data to it, et cetera, et cetera, or the more premium the audience is, the the price of that media will go up. And normally what happens if the price of the media goes up is the amount of impressions that you serve goes down because your overall budget stays the same, a million dollars I've got to spend. So if the unit cost is more expensive, I'll just buy less units. So then the, then there's a remainder of the budget to spend with people like us to add dynamic creative to, um, to the solution. And then there's a creative cost. So right, now we need to go and record it. We need to go and um, use a voiceover or maybe we use um, synthesized voice. But we're talking of that 10 million, probably in the order of maximum five to ten thousand dollars for the creative. just on the just on the that's how much it costs right to hire a studio, get a um, a studio engineer, uh, the voiceover time, um, the licensing cost for the music maybe add all that up and you, you know you, you'd be lucky to push five to 10k. So on a ten million dollar budget, if you're the person at Duncan, are you really going to be caring if that voiceover cost that's within that 5k, the voiceover cost is probably five to eight hundred dollars. If that went down to $50, who cares? You know, we're, we're talking decimal places here. So there's no downward pressure from the buyer to make sure that the voiceover cost goes down for the kind of clients that we work with who are spending $10 million a month on, on their campaign, which includes, as I said, a load of media. So no one is saying to us, oh, please, can you reduce that cost? The other, you know, one of the, one of the factors of our business is if we get over a certain minimum, if we get uh, campaigns are big enough, We'll actually deliver the creative managed service included in the cost in our cost, so the client doesn't even see, doesn't even break out how much we've spent on a human voiceover versus a um, uh, versus any other kind of provision of voice, like a like a synthesized voice. So there's no downward pressure from a cost point of view. However, there is pressure from a workflow, productivity, time point of view. If you want a voiceover to go and read fourteen thousand. Uh, store addresses and names. That's a significant amount of time in the studio. And frankly, it's really boring. And to get a human to do that, humans will, you know, you probably have to do it in three or four sessions. By the third session, the human might have got a cold because it's raining today, or they might have just smoked a cigarette so their voice sounds different, et etc. Et All these kind of human, you know, random elements come in. So that is a perfect uh, uh, reason to use or a perfect use case to use... Um, uh, synthesized voice but the way we've done it before we've probably done 10 to 15 campaigns now ever that's used synthesized voice and we we the first one we did by the way was in 2018 for his cox insurance um so again of this is new we just talk, everyone's talking about it more now and the voiceover at the time that the the, the the actual synthesized voice was awful, but that's kind of what they wanted. They wanted it to sound like a kind of you know an old-fashioned robot because it was for His Cop Cyber Insurance. So they wanted it to sound okay,
1: yeah yeah that makes There'd sense.
0: Been masses of development and an increase in quality and speed and so on of, uh, of of synthesized voices. But in that time, not a lot has changed in in the kind of the workflow. So if we wanted to do fourteen thousand stores again, absolutely we'd use a synthesized voice to do it, but we'd use the human voice actor at the start and at the end. So the bit in the middle doesn't feel like it's kind of standing out on its own. So there's no price pressure, there's a little bit of workflow pressure. But I think the biggest opportunity for for synthesized voice in advertising is where the list is unlimited. So if you imagine there's 14,000 stores, that's still only 14,000. So we can see when we get to the end. But if you imagine uh, tomorrow's news, we don't know what that is yet. So we can't go and record it today. We can't get a human to record that so it's ready to go to play tomorrow. If you imagine stock prices, there's kind of an infinite number of stock. Well, it's not infinite, but there's a there's a large number of stock prices that you wouldn't be able to record um, all ahead of time. Um, sports scores. So there are there are really good use cases, all of which would be really valuable in a um, in an advertising context to make the ad sound like it's more aware of its context, more aware of its real time uh, position in the world, um, and that's where synthesized voice, I think, will have a really good use case. Um,
1: yeah. For our kind of advertisers.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other end of the tale, you know, actually, you know, looking at where most social advertising comes from, for example, is not the big advertisers. It's not the blue chips, the Fortune 500s. It's it's the um, local bakery or the local car dealership or the local, um, uh, you know, coffee shop that want to spend 50 bucks and they want to have... You know, with a with a with a social payload, that's often just a photo and a bit of text, which is very easy to create, and obviously even easier to create using um, using AI. But for audio, there's always been this kind of this kind of hump, this this minimum cost to get over. If I wanted to, my, I always joke that there's Bob's bumpers in Boston, and, and you know, if, I, if Bob wanted to go and record an audio ad, he's got to go and spend that voiceover cost, that 250, 500 bucks, and his budget was only a thousand, so he's already spent half of it on his on his creative. Whereas, remember, in the ten million dollar budget. That 500 bucks are still more or less the same. So it was much smaller proportion of the overall. Whereas for Bob, this is half. So AI has an absolute role here where that 500 bucks becomes 5, 10, 15 bucks for some kind of license that then um, uh, creates a, an AI generated version of an audio ad. And then of your, what did we say, 1000 buck budget, 990 of that is being spent on the media, um, not on the creator. So So in those use cases, I think. Synthesized voice and, and generative AI is, is very helpful. Over time, I think that the distinction between those two advertising sets—the Fortune 500s versus the Bobs Bumpers in boston they, they'll they'll blur and merge. And I think big blue chips will find a use case for the Bobs example, and the Bobs example will will find use cases for for premium uh, voiceover talent as well over time. So so I think there's there's definitely going to be a blurring. It's not happening quickly because I mean again, all this stuff's been out there for for a long time. Now we're just all talking about it more.
1: I I think it's been out there for a long time, but I also think that the the voice technology has got so much better. You can still, and I, I went on a rant not too long ago about this, but, you know, the sort of the the instructional videos on YouTube that are obviously just... I heard were rant a about that, David. You were huh?
0: you were very specific about your your <laughs> hate for these things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's because they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. But in what you were talking about though, and I I spoke to a lady a journalist in Poland, Joanna, and she was talking about how, you know, in the newsroom, which is is kind of it's the same numbers that you're talking about, it's the stock prices, it's the weather, it's traffic, it's that sort of stuff that actually a lot of the stations are are automating now, sports scores, all that sort of stuff because it's a very it's very dry and you could, you know, that's easily. It's easy to automate all of that because there's not much. You don't need a lot of personality and a lot of context to go and, around. And it's that. very
0: templatable And and we've also sports scores. We've been doing it for fifty years, so there's a lot yeah. of learning. There's a lot of training data. So you know, you could almost. I mean, to honestly honest, again, you don't need AI to do this. You could just. I, there, there was a company I met really early on in my a million ads days that was doing. Um, effectively a templatized story generator using stocks and it was if and it had if then if this then that rules in it. If stock has gone up, use the sentence, a great day for insert stock name. If stock has gone down, say disappointing news for insert stock name. So they were creating a rules-based version of uh, of a kind of templated in, in their case it was it was um, you know text story I think it was just to plug a what you know push up at a story about each individual stock and what how its performance had done. So, so it's not a challenge again to say it's you know great use of brand new technology. It's kind of not really I guess, because it's we've done it all before. So it's just inserting the right stock into the right thing into, and and I don't know what your what your your guests your previous guests conclusion was, but that sounds pretty dry and pretty dull.
1: Um, it it is. I think that there is a whole TV station. Basically, is is all AI generated, so it's avatars. It's not real people, and they do have some real people. So what they have is they'll have they'll have a live presenter, but then that presenter might be talking to an avatar, and then in some instances they have two avatars talking to each other. Like it's pretty crazy. Is anyone and, watching it? But it's yeah. I mean, it's,
0: I, I, it's a TechCrunch article. It's a it's a funny like anecdote to, to talk about computers, but actually real people who are getting up in the morning, turning on the TV to to get their kids to school with a bit of news on in the background and it's Sky News or it's BBC BBC Good Morning or whatever it is. Is it? Does anyone want to, like, go to Channel 387 and watch or, or, or flick open their laptop and go to avatarnews.com? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, don't know. I genuinely don't know, and, and I'd, I'm i sure I'd be surprised if we saw their list. Well, I, I think a
1: lot of people would be surprised, actually, to know that most radio shows are recorded ahead of time and only take about, you know, half an hour for the, the host. to record the show. And it's all pre-recorded and it's just uploaded the music, the ads, everything is all automated. And there's not actually, like I still, and maybe this is my age, this could be my age. But, you know, when I think of the radio, I think of a guy sitting in a booth, right, with a microphone, like LBC, right? Because you can watch LBC at the same time. And I've been in there when, you know, when, when James O'Brien was on or whatever. And, you know, there's someone physically sitting there in front of a mic like this. They're talking to people and then the ads come in. And it, like, I think that's what most people envision. But for, I would guess, probably the majority of radio stations, that's not actually how it works now. It, it did 20 years ago, but not anymore. Have
0: you listened to Spotify's um, ex-DJ? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I, I, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by that, bearing in mind you know, my ears are tuned to, to as, as you say, the kind of almost the old school um, uh, pros and cons of, of radio. Uh, and I think they used a lot of the tricks and techniques that that we expect from radio, but in this, uh, uh, you know, generated voice. Firstly, the voice I thought was very good. I mean, it is, I and mean, you can listen to this. They've, they've rolled this out across the world now. It was in the US first, but it's, I think it's available to everyone now. The voice is very good, um, firstly. Secondly, it talks about the music that you've listened to, Unfortunately, my Spotify um, is utterly messed up at the moment because my children listen to Number Block soundtrack and the Bluey theme song, whilst, oh, no. I, whilst I'm trying to listen to what I want to listen to. So I'll I'll get, you know, Stone Roses and then followed by the Bluey theme song. Love <laughs> so, it. So the poor old ex-AI ex, uh, uh, DJ is going, Steve, here's, here's a song you played a lot last year. It's the Bluey soundtrack. Oh, God. a <laughs>
1: family plan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it, it's really interesting. I had a DJ on last week um, who's been doing, I mean, he started off DJing on vinyl and still prefers vinyl. He's very old school about the whole thing. And, you know, we talked about this a lot. And and one of his comments, you know, that he made is he said he was talking to a friend of his and they said, oh, yeah, the, you know, the spotter. No, he said, have you listened to my show lately? And they said, no, 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 I just listened to Spotify because the DJ on there is amazing. And he's like, but I'm a DJ. And they're like, yeah, but it's better. <laughs> And he was like, that "Yeah, that was and it, crushing." And it's infinitely
0: variable, right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, they can say anything and play any music. Whereas your your guest, he has a record box with a hundred records in it, so that's his that's his finite set that he can choose from, and his personality and what he can say is the stories that are in his head. So so it's definitely a scale challenge for humans now against that kind of um, that kind of service. The, and and I, I think I was ready to listen to that and go, and and feel quite impersonal. Like this is this is like it feels like a robot talking to me. Didn't feel that at all. Actually, was, there was a night the way they the the, the terms of phrase the language used. Uh, the, again the voice was great and and you know again tricks from radio being up close to the mic, so it feels like you're you're very close into someone's ear. The speed that you talk with the volume that you talk with. You know they would they obviously done a lot of testing to to do. It. I mean if, again if people haven't tried it, give it's called X DJ or, or um, AI DJ within the Spotify app worth having a listen to.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, we've talked a lot about how you've been using it and, and how you sort of use it every day in your business and that sort of thing. Where do you see it going from here? Um, you know, particularly in think thinking about maybe, you know, ad tech or the advertising industry and, and you know, your radio and your digital, I guess, the digital platforms. Do you do you guys go to like smart TVs and everything and can you push ads into other tools or do they, I mean, YouTube has its own advertising environment and I assume that you can't do anything there, but is it just, is it just audio that you work with? And I guess there's a couple of questions there. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, I guess, where do you see it going from here in, in sort of those environments? So, so
0: we are audio only, we had a video product for a while. Um, and. Um... It was, it was pretty good actually, but, um, uh, then COVID happened and various different, you know, strategies later we're, we're, we're focusing just on, on dynamic creative for audio. There's definitely a, you know, space for us to, to operate here. We've got great partnerships with our, with our audio publisher partners and, and, you know, the ad tech ecosystem within audio. So, so we're doubling down on audio for sure. But the dynamic creative as a, as a thing, um, obviously is deployed in, in, in every other, um, uh, advertising channel, uh, or at least digital advertising channel, it's quite hard to do in you know old school press, for example. But um, but you know even out of home now with the number of, of digital screens, a lot, lot of it is dynamic, dynamically created. Um, uh, connected TV for sure. There's there's players who can who can start to build dynamic creative video ads that can be played out, in, in, and so different homes see different ads based on um, data about that home. Um, that will only get more prolific. The bit that's missing in audio, and I think this is when we, we talk about where this is going, is is the o. D- DCO, dynamic creative optimization is is the kind of you know the the industry sector that we work in, and and what's missing and has been missing for forever really in in audio is the O piece and the the optimization piece, and the reason that's missing at the moment is to optimize you need a sig- signal to optimize against. So imagine if you're Uh, Facebook then your signal is a click but actually often it's a pixel on the on the sellers uh, if you're clicking to buy a product um, often there'll be a Facebook pixel on the cart page that will feed back to Facebook that it was this ad that created this transaction of this value and so they can say this ad is therefore created this much um, uh, revenue for you therefore optimize against uh, this create and actually Funnily enough, back in 2012, I was working for an agency that built a platform that would push a thousand versions of the creative into Facebook. And then over the course of a week, it would opt, it would remove the budget from the versions that weren't working and optimize the versions of the creative that, that were performing better against whichever metric you chose to, to optimize against, whether that's bar- cart value or transaction value or click through rate or uh, Yeah, or we
1: were doing that back in 2003. Right. So DC has
0: been around forever. In audio, it's it's still hard to do that O piece because the signal strength from the the listener um, is quite weak, um, and a lot of that is just purely a function of uh, of audio. Uh, we are often listening, you know, in, in our ears on on earbuds, and uh, you know, let's say the ad says tap your screen now to to purchase the thing, you know, whatever the whatever the ongoing call to action might be, but either that your device is in your pocket or the screen's off. Or you're scrolling through Instagram, and the the app that's playing the ad to you is in the background. So already, we, we, and that's just one you know use case where where you're on your mobile phone. Imagine you know you're on a Sonos device, in like we in our office here, we have twenty people sitting in a room listening to Sonos, and when the ads come on, and it says tap your screen, I'm like, where's the screen? <laughs> and there's twenty people in here. So so audio has this kind of innate measurement issues, which means that it's quite hard to optimize against. So what we do is. Um, we we will do what we call pre-optimise, which is where we know you're more likely to be feeling um, uh, a preference for breakfast items at a certain time, Monday to Friday, than you are lunchtime items. So we pre-optimise our script to mean you know that you don't need a you don't need to run fifty versions of a script to tell you that people want to hear about breakfast items at breakfast time. You know there's that, that, some kind of common sense that we can do here. Um, so. I think over time, and what AI will help us with is is things like attribution modeling, um, where without those really clear signals from audio, we can still detect or infer um, which version of an ad has had the most impact and has been most effective, and then we can start to optimize. So I think over the next few years, we'll start to see, maybe not from us. I think we you know we partner with everybody. We partner with all the measurement people like Nielsen and Foursquare and uh, Ninth Decimal and everyone who's doing. Uh, attribution modeling and footfall and traffic modeling and all that stuff and so with any of those signals I think over over the next few years we'll start to see optimization come in um, a bit more uh, prevalently and what AI helps with is spotting patterns um, in uh, measurement data to be able to make predictive um, uh, suggestions for optimization again it, within display and social there are a few companies who've just started to do this kind of stuff so I think you'll see that come more and more
1: yeah it's, <clears throat> I went to an event a couple of years ago now where the lady who does she's the head of data science for number 10 and they have their own data science team and that obviously to you know look into data for whatever the prime minister wants to look into to look at develop policy and those sorts of things and she said that they've been using ai an ai data analytics tool for quite some time was how she phrased it but what was interesting is is she was talking about the fact that you know most of them are like a black box so if you ask it something or you ask it to analyze something you don't know how it came up with the answer it just gives you an answer <clears throat> but the tool that they have she said it's been amazing because you know you can take enormous data sets you can say here's the analysis I want to do on this data you can let it run and she said you know there was a she gave an example of one of her teams set off this analysis that they wanted to do something for the NHS or whatever and he basically set off the query, went to lunch, came back a half an hour later and it was finished. And she's like, that would have taken like probably a couple of weeks for him to do manually. Um, you know, and, and the answer came back and she said, but the really interesting thing about the tool that we use is that it gives you a full log of what statistical analysis, what algorithm it used to do the analysis, what variables it found were important, why it found those variables important. And it it basically gives you the whole you know, reason why it did everything that it did and it tells you so you can actually go back and double check it if you want. And she said, We did it in the beginning, but we don't bother anymore because we know we've never found that it was a problem. And in fact, sometimes it does stuff in a way that we never would have thought of, which is which is much faster and easier. So she's like, we've learned from the tool anyway. But
0: Yeah, so apply that to to advertising. And I mean there's plenty of data of all sorts and shapes and sizes, so much um, data. Uh, th- so being able to analyze that fast and then yeah. use that output to to optimize creative, brilliant.
1: And and your example, going back to your example when you were talking about reading fourteen thousand addresses, that's not something that I'd ever. I mean, it totally makes sense, right? Like that's the perfect use for it. And phone numbers, it like all that sort of detailed information, and if you can slip it in to a a, a real voiceover. Or, or a human voiceover in the same voice, chances are 99% of the time, people aren't going to notice the difference anyway because the voice is so close. And that's a fantastic use. And, and I think that's where we're going to see, initially, that's where the power of AI is actually going to come from for big business. Big business is going to use it to automate a lot of those really annoying, time-consuming tasks That like you said, you know, it would take a, it would take a human. I would, I would turn down the contract (laughs) if I was doing voiceover and they came and said, you need to read 14,000 addresses. I'd be like, no, thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of copy is required.
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, uh, I can see where that's going to hugely, you know, improve efficiency in business and that sort of thing. And I think that's really where it's going to start to get its foothold. But I don't know how much, I mean, I think there was an article that came out yesterday and Microsoft has really, they've been super active in the last week. I've, I've posted probably four or five articles specifically from Microsoft talking about AI and how it's going to impact business. There's been stories in the FT and Forbes, you know, everybody talking about the IMF came out and said it's going to affect 40% of businesses over the next, you know, couple of years. And there are all these stories and what we're starting to see is business, big business, is now starting to cotton on and saying, well actually this maybe this tool is good to do some things that are taking a long time and that are slowing everything down and take a lot of manpower. So I I think it is slowly going to start to erode in, but it might not be what we expect. I think initially there was a knee jerk and we thought, oh my God, you know, all the creatives are going to be out, PR is going to be out the window. We we don't need a CMO anymore and all that sort of stuff. And that's not where we're actually seeing the most traction where we're seeing the most traction is in doing really dull, boring stuff like reading fourteen thousand addresses.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's certainly where we're starting. And um, I think there'll be a sliding scale over time of of using it more and more. And and um, but but what do, what do we want here? I mean, at the end of the day, we don't want humans to be doing boring tasks. So the fact that that person that was doing the boring task isn't doing it anymore, well, let's hope that they go and do something more interesting. <laughs> like spend time with their family or or, or watch an, an algorithmically generated news channel
1: <laughs> Painting by I mean, the river
0: Yeah, right
1: When you talk to AI and when you think about AI so I have a couple of questions that I ask everybody um, and but this one is my new one for the year and this one is are you polite to it? Do you say please and thank you and those sorts of things when you, when you deal with chat GPT or whatever or are you like it's just a machine and it's a tool, and I'll just ask it what I want. So the the interesting model here
0: um, is how I speak to Alexa versus how my children speak to Alexa, um, which in the end isn't quite the same, because as as we're working out, Alexa's quite a way behind being a large language model. It's it's a um, rules-based response engine. And I think Amazon have suddenly gone, oh, whoops, we need to, make it into an LLM and, and certainly some of the voice uh, interactions that you can do with chat GPT are, are more sophisticated than exit. But however, I think that the human machine interface, um, through speech, uh, it, it, it could help answer your question. Uh, I, I will always say, um, Alexa play the Beatles. Uh, and off we go. You know, that's the number one use case of all Alexas is to play an entertainment service. And more often than not, it's music or it's radio play capital FM. Um, the second is asking the time. The third is asking the weather. And 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 so so you know these these incredible devices that have been in our homes for the last eight years, we're still just saying, "Put some music on, please." Um, I will say, "Alexa, play the Beatles," and if it plays a song I don't like, I'll go, "Alexa, next." My kids, I'll say, "Alexa, play the Beatles," and if it's something I don't like, Tristan will go, "Alexa, shut up!" You know, look at that, really. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. hang on. Yeah. He's like, it's only a computer. <laughs> and 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 then so my my brain just goes well you just be nice be kind you know just as a just as a human whether you know whoever you're talking to whomever you know whatever you're talking to be nice but he's he's kind of seen it for what it is and it's really interesting that 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 he goes well why do we care how how we talk to it there was a story um this is quite a while ago that i um that i read about how um uh, uh voice activated devices can change their answers based on how they're asked so if you if you do say Alexa shut up, then the answer could be, of course, I'll turn it down if you ask nicely <laughs> and actually start to kind of, um, you know, preempt uh, or, or at least at least have a, have a, uh, an interaction. Just just a little slight um, tangent to this. Um, it's I think it's been fascinating to see how these. Um, so Alexa is a, is a female name. Uh, Siri is a female name. Um, Bixby is some kind of odd, maybe foot servant name that Samsung chose to call their um, assistant. Google chose to say "Okay, Google," and now all of our devices will go off. But um, and and I think there's a big mental leap here between talking to a someone who has a, a thing that has a female name versus a thing that has the name of a company and a weird kind of um, you know activation thing and chat of course i mean couldn't be more technical GPT is not a consumer facing brand name it's 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 a it's an acronym for the actual technology used in how llms are built transformers and and i think they've got that wrong i mean certainly if they if they want to have us as humans feeling comfortable interacting with this thing they've got to learn from from the, the path we've already been down here. You know, the most successful voice-activated devices is, is Alexa, and I would argue, it's called Amazon Echo, but the, but everyone calls it Alexa because and um, we'd say her, you know, in our house, we get, get her to put some music on, you know, and I think, again, humans like familiarity. They like feeling like they're interacting with other humans. So I think whatever happens next with these kind of models that we talk to, whether that's with voice or whether it's through chat box or whether it's through prompts or whether it's whatever, giving it some kind of personality calling it something personal uh will help
1: it's interesting because the question i asked all last year was when you think of ai do you think of it as being male or female
0: what do, what does chat gpt say if you ask i am <laughs> neither. i am an it it's Actually, it's, did it's ask it that my yeah, kids asked it, it that and we and we and it said i'm i'm neither i'm a i'm a computer and my pronoun is it
1: yeah it it says something like that but my thought always was is that, you know, traditionally through science, sci-fi and all that sort of stuff, it's always been a female voice. And I think it's because it's less threatening, generally speaking, like who wants a because then the next step is you put it in a robot and then you because they always conflate the two things. So, you, you know, you end up with this Terminator thing and you start going, OK, well, if you've got this massive, intimidating looking robot and you put a male voice in it, that's scary as hell. Whereas if you soften it a little bit, and kind of make, give it some more feminine type shapes and, you know, make it a little bit softer looking and it's not so threatening, even though it Poss- can still possibly, kill I, I, you just as easily I, as the other one, yeah, you know, yeah. but there's a psychology, you're absolutely right. There's a psychology behind that and it's, it's yeah, very and, and, and how, and how media and
0: entertainment has trained us to think what a robot looks and sounds like, you know, cause we've all watched Star Wars and, and seen the, Androids and so actually a lot of the androids in Star Wars are uh, either genderless or they're male and female um, voices. I, I think um, I mean this is all to play for, right? I I think um, we shouldn't assume about how we're going to react. You know, if a robot walked past the window right now, I I don't know how I'm gonna am I gonna go brilliant? They've arrived now. Come and help me with my heavy lifting. Or am I gonna go? Oh my god! Don't talk to it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we I think we, it we're depends on what it looks like.
1: Yeah, I think it depends. Did you see um, Elon Musk's tweet where he's got the his robot was folding T-shirts?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. He's he's his worldview is that is that we'll all have nothing to do <clears throat> within ten twenty years, whatever. His company will be the most valuable in the world. We'll all have nothing to do, and actually, we'll spend that time having fun with each other and eating and drinking and watching movies and and skipping down the beach because all of the boring mundane stuff, as we were saying before, will be done by robots whether that's whether that's computational robots or physical robots or or obviously both Um,
1: yeah I mean some of that's quite appealing so when you have a personal assistant that's a (laughs) fully AI personal assistant what are you going to name it?
0: Um, (laughs) another little story that I'll tell you as an aside I'm just going to cough excuse me so another little story I'll tell you as an aside is we have a car that you can name. So on the screen, you can type in the name you want to call it. And when we lived in the U.S., um, we called the car Blastoff. Uh, the kids named the car because it, you know, it had a nice little coloration and it was, kind of looked a bit like a rocket and kids like rockets, whatever. So we called it Blastoff. And then we moved back to the U.K., so we had to sell the car in the U.S. and we bought a new car in, uh, in the U.K. and had to, so had to name this car. So we've had a very recent conversation about what to name an inanimate object. And of course, when you give that task to an eight and a four-year-old, um, we've come up with, you'll know, never guess, it, the, so our car is called Rainbow Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say to me, what would you call your virtual assistant? <laughs> Unfortunately, the first thing that to come jumps into my head is Rainbow Dave. <laughs> Rainbow Dave.
1: I love it. That's awesome. Kids are great at that kind of thing. Yeah, the reason I asked, and, and just to go back, just, I don't think you and I talked about this before, and if we have, you can stop me, but... The reason that I asked that, you know, should you be nice to, to AI or not was, I read an article by a lady who said that she uses it for to help her with code. So if she's writing code and she has a code issue that she can't get past, a lot of times she'll paste it in and she'll ask it for help to fix the problem or to diagnose the problem and say, what's wrong with this code? Why doesn't it work? Kind of thing. And then it gives her the answer. And she says, she feels gratitude But she doesn't know what to do with it, like which is a super empathetic response. Like I would have never thought about it that way, or 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 communicated it in that way. But I know exactly what she means, and she said it perfectly. And it's like you ask it for something, and it helps you. And when you read it,
0: brilliant, or you thought of something that I didn't think of, or you've you've solved that problem for me. You've added utility.
1: And you like if it was a person, you'd be like, oh, my God, thank you. That's amazing that I'm so glad, you know, and you you could express that and you could be like, I want them to feel good because they helped me. And then you've got this thing on the screen and you're like, yeah, where did well, what that do go? I, "Yeah, what do I do with that? Yeah, just as you were
0: talking, I was thinking of it at the prompt level, like asking nice prompts, because clearly every prompt that we write and every answer that it gives is going to be training the next iteration of the model. So if we start asking for, for prompts in a nasty way that will train the model that nasty prompts are okay and then it might start spitting out nasty stuff because of that because of that training feedback loop so ideally we still want to be treated like nice humans i don't think we don't want robots shouting at us so i think we should speak nicely to the robots so that they speak nicely back to us once they've learned through that feedback loop
1: most people i talk to agree and my thought process is is that when the ai starts to take over I wanted to go, but that guy was always nice to us. But that guy said
0: please <laughs> and thank you.
1: <laughs> that guy over there, he was, he was, he was really mean to us most of the time. Yeah. So he's going to go first. <laughs> that lady said thanks
0: when I gave her a good code prompt. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Um, Steve, thanks very much for your time today. My pleasure. Good Is fun. Is there anything else that you feel that's burning about AI that you wanted to talk about? I, I mean, it just.
0: Uh, I have equal measure of of kind of cynicism and excitement about it. I think the cynicism comes from oh my goodness, how many times do I get asked every day about what my business is doing in AI? <clears throat> and so I feel like a little bit um a little bit not 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 with you. We've 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 got into the detail and, you know, you you have asked the intelligent questions around it rather than the the kind of soundbite answer questions. Um and um and so that can get frustrating, particularly if the person asking just wants the soundbite so that they can say, "Yep, that company does AI." Tick, and then they can put us in a different category in a, on a spreadsheet somewhere. Um, and I think that devalues our overall product and what we've been doing for ages. And you know, it's there's a little bit of snake oil around all this stuff, and and so so that's where my kind of cynicism and, and frustration comes from. And there certainly are companies and ideas and products out there, you know, your your training videos that are just you know headless. Spo- that that is utter bullshit and wasting everybody's time. It's friction in the process and and devalues the. The industry, everything else, for everybody else, for all the humans. Um, the the excitement, though, you know, I'm bullish on AGI, and and um, <clears throat> I think we'll get there at some point. Uh, there's, uh, I must have told you about this before, but maybe maybe your listeners won't have heard of this. There's there's a um, a blog called Wait But Why, um, and actually about five years ago, it's quite an old blog post. It's in three um, three sections. Uh, this guy, I'm now blanking on his name, Tom somebody wrote. Um, uh, and an essay about artificial intelligence. And this is long before um, LLMs and ChatGPT and so on. And the first, he, he, he used all these little kind of stick diagram pictures of people to explain what are otherwise reasonably complicated um, uh, uh, concepts. And he uses a staircase. And I know this, this isn't necessarily his, but he, but he redraws it in his lovely little stick men. And imagine that there's a staircase of intelligence and humans are on step seven uh and on step one is an ant and on step six is a monkey um and we look down at the monkey and go oh mate you'll get there." oh look at you bless you using your opposable thumbs to make little tools so that you can eat nuts more efficiently great and we look down at the ant and we go oh i didn't even notice you there pal when i'm building this road through your home um and a i today uh is probably on step one or two and maybe with like an LLM, we're getting to maybe step three or four um when we get to a GI, that's when AI joins us on step seven. And then there's A S I, which is super intelligence, which will be, and actually this will happen very quickly. As soon as you get to AGI, there's nothing to stop the computer other than energy and, and compute cycles for getting up that staircase and suddenly being at, at step a thousand and then next week step 10,000 and next week step infinity. So if you use that analogy of us on step seven, and we ain't going anywhere, we aren't going to get on step eight, not a chance. I don't know, a billion years would need to pass of evolution before we go there. We're looking down at an ant on step one. Imagine the computer that's now on step ten thousand looking up at us on step seven, and the deference that we have for the ant. What are they going to have for us? Um, so that's that's the first kind of model that he that he proposes in this in this blog. And you just kind of sit and go, shit. <laughs> and then the the other bit that that um that I really like, and it's def- it's definitely worth a read. <clears throat> um, is is he is he has a, a two by two, and I'm I'm an ex consultant. I love uh you love a two, by two. A two by two two by two. And one angle, uh, one one axis is: um, Will AI be benevolent or will it be um, aggressive towards humans? And then the other uh, the other axis, the Y axis, if you like, is is um, how soon will we get to AGI or ASI? And then on this two by two, he plots all the big thinkers about AI. Where do they sit on that chart? <clears throat> Bill Gates, Elon Musk. Um, and hundreds of others, you know, academics and people who've written research papers and people who know way more than us about AI and have been thinking about it way longer than we have, where is their general perspective? I, e. is it going to happen soon and be benevolent, or is it going to happen in a long time, but it, when it does come, it's going to be, you know, nasty. And that is, ri- because no one knows, right? Um and and actually, I'd, I'd love him to, to redraw this grid, you know, in the light of, of all the recent kind of LLM de- development, because you probably would argue that everyone who thought it was going to be 50 years out, you could probably bring that in a little bit now based on, you know, the, the developments that have happened um, more recently. Yeah. 100%. Anyway, I'll leave you with that. It's, you know, it's, it's a good little bit of, um, you know, offline reading to go and do. I found that very helpful to to get my own view on um, on AI in general, but also just to get what, what people say AGI, you know, and, and all the all the open AI shenanigans about are they developing tools too fast or too slow? Should we have a general pause? Who owns the model? Who owns the training set? All that stuff. It's really helpful to have just the kind of the the the, um, the general you know landscape in your mind. And I found this this very helpful to do that.
1: So yeah, thanks for that. That's that's amazing. And I'll put a link in the show notes. I've, did you I've find it up here.
0: Did. Wait, so, why?
1: Yeah, I found it already. Um, Great. So that's cool. So I'll, yeah, I'll I'll drop a I'll drop a link in. And Brilliant. if there are any advertisers out there who are looking for dynamic audio content and have 10 million pounds a month to spend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if we, I'd love it if that was all with us. I mean, we, we take Steve's a fraction that, the rest we <laughs> spend with the, uh, the publishers. But yeah, come to a millionads.com.
1: That's it. Um, Steve, thanks very much. I appreciate your time today. And it was really, really interesting. And um, I like some of the I, – I, you brought up some things that I hadn't thought of before and um, some positive uses, I think, for AI, which is sort of some good examples that I can use in the future, and I think maybe other people can as well that aren't quite so scary. And, um, you know, maybe people go, oh, I never thought about using it like that. So, no, that's been amazing. So, thanks Real very pleasure, much. Real pleasure, Nice to see you again. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon, thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Creatives with AI is a proud member of the AI Podcast Network. To stay up to date with current episodes and show information, subscribe to their newsletter at podcastnetwork.ai and don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll always get the episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks again for listening and stay curious. Curious, curious.